Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility at the ass crack of dawn or middle of the night i don't know what time it is it's gonna be it's not it's not ass crack of dawn it's gonna be the middle of the night i don't even know why i said that it's the it's push a, of dawn it's it's a it was a foolish thing to say i'm, I'm immediately filled with rue at the taint of dawn <laughs> the road to ufc finals but what a dumbass card can we just start out saying <laughs> that what is going on? Everything at the start of this year, even I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna feel like like it's ten birthdays at once when UFC yeah. two eighty is it four? Yeah, yeah, comes around. But even that card, you look at the undercard, you're like, this is the best they could do. Like, presumably, well, you're getting into top a Porter and Croup Menafield on the main card. Yeah, and and. Below that, like there are some fights that we're interested in because there are some fighters that we're interested in. Yeah, but like Shannon Ross versus Clidson Rodriguez, I want to see Clidson Rodriguez fight. Does anybody else? No. Josh Kulabau versus Melsic Bogdasarian. Is anybody else like Josh Kulabau as much as we like Josh Kulabau? Definitely not. Like, yeah, what's going on? Like, you you assume that they're robbing these fight night cards of depth yeah. to uh, to stack the pay per views, but even that and the next big card after that, it's just like you get like four fights deep. You're like, what the yeah. hell is happening here? Yeah, they, they they it's supposed to be Rob Peter to pay Paul, but right now, like, it's just broke all around. Yeah, very strange. Uh, anyway, we're getting back to this card, which even by that standard is just a busted pile of shit. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't even have the uh, the added flavor cards like this used to have of like being in the country where a lot of these fighters are from. Yeah, so yeah. Get, I mean, like, I, headlined by Chan Sung Jung, yeah, in South Korea, in the middle of the night. This card made some sense. It was yeah. going to be a fun, fast, like you know when they would do cards in like Malaysia and they'd start at like. Yeah, six in the morning, and if you got up for it and just had a cup of coffee and you're sitting there bleary eyed, you'd you, we get through like a twelve fight card in four hours, and you're like, yeah. oh, this is fun. This was supposed to be that kind of card, and it, yeah, it just, but like in the Apex facility, yeah. starting at ten at night. Yeah, it just like it. It just feels like it suits nobody. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay up super late to watch uh, 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 an un like not unranked but a a heavyweight main event with like zero title aspirations involved. Sweet. Yeah, and sit through a sea of dog shit to get there. <laughs> it's, like, it's a terrible, terrible card. Yeah, like you're the big, the big highlight on this card is. Duho Choi returning. Yeah. And I love, you know, like the kid is fun as hell, but he has not won a fight since 2016. Yeah, he is by all appearances busted. And he is fighting somebody who has won one fight in the UFC. 
in five attempts. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is That's a fight that is the highlight of the card. The, yeah, the best thing you're hoping out of that fight is just that Duho Choi like gets himself positioned to have a fun fight in the future. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's that. It's Park versus Tululin, which is pretty good. Which is good to us, but it's also the Not second fight else, of the yeah. Right, and then the curtain jerker, for some reason, Tatsuro Taira. I'm curious to see his journey continue, but also, like, who else cares? And it's the very first fight in the card, and then you just have all this just trash between. <laughs> it's really strange. It it is It is a weird, weird card. Mm-hmm. And normally, I mean, I I know that a lot of people, a lot of people who listen to the show are going to be like, you guys are bitter all the time. And that's why we're here. I mean, I hope that's why you're here, because, my God, if you're if you've gone through 500 episodes with us or whatever it's been at this point and you're like, mm-hmm. when are you guys going to brighten up? You know, like, well, maybe I think that's just their version of what we're doing. Like yeah, maybe they have that right because yeah, that's true. That's true. We do sit here and bitch about the cards, and then they bitch about us bitching about the cards. Yeah, yeah. They a, keep listening. It's, it's an MLM scheme <laughs> of bitchiness, of just like yeah, you, you know, could, we're at the you, top. We've we've recruited each recruited five hundred people who will bitch to five hundred other people. If you can, if you can recruit one friend into being an extremely cynical, depressed MMA fan, the <laughs> fr- first step is you have to make a friend. Yeah, <laughs> but then after that, it's all gravy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Let's dive into this main event. Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak, a fight that we broke down uh, a couple of months ago because this fight was supposed to go down at... Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. It was supposed to go down at UFC Fight Night 215, Zichiku versus Kudalaba. Right, right. I think it headlined that card. Yeah. And got pulled at the last minute back in November of last year uh, due to COVID, which is hilarious because says Lewis was forced to pull out of the event due to specifically due to non COVID non weight cutting illness. Mm. And then like this week is like, yeah, I had COVID. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, why would, why did you, why did anybody need to lie about that? Oh my God. It's such a UFC thing to do to be yeah, like, it really is. We are so far into the COVID is not our problem thing that even if somebody gets COVID, we're like, yeah, it wasn't COVID though. No, it wasn't COVID. Man, the UFC today, man, it's just like, even just the last few months, I'm like, what is happening with this organization? Just increasingly soulless, the, the power slap debacle, which is guaranteed going down in flames as we speak. Dana White slapping his wife. Everything is so stupid and bleak now. It, 2023 has really... Um, it's not been a kind year, and we are exactly one month into it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we broke this down. Um, it's I don't remember what our prediction was. Our, but... our prediction, I believe, both was we are clinging 
barely to this idea that Sergei Spivak is just not the kind of dude that beats Derek okay. Lewis. Okay, good. I was going to say, I probably will arrive at the same conclusion, even having forgotten it. And that is the conclusion I arrived at this week on Heavy Hands. So perfect. Um, a show on which I don't think I mentioned once that this fight was already booked because I completely forgot that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the question is... Uh, is Derek Lewis shot or are these recent losses fights that Derek Lewis may very well have lost even when he was on a hot streak? Yeah. And Jorge Norlos Dos situation here, honestly. Of course, could very easily be a bit of both. But then you still have to ask, even if these fights might have gone the other way. And let's be honest, like he was never beaten Cyril gone. No, that fight. We knew we. I could call that at any point in his career. Yeah. No matter how much prep time. No matter like Cyril Gone could have just been coming off of like knee surgery, and like he'd been talking about retirement and a brutal loss and a debilitating illness and all that. And I would still be like, he's gonna beat Derek Lewis. He's yeah. just gonna beat him. He, he was he was never winning that fight. Yeah. Um, the Tuivasa uh, fight was a 50-50 fight. That was Tuivasa a 50 /50 was fight. totally 50-50. Um, and uh, and Sergey Pavlovich, you know, has, uh, has, has arrived. He has arrived, and he does not look that different from say, like, you know, when Matt Mitrione and Sean Jordan knocked him out way early in his UFC run. So. Yeah. I don't think there's any strong evidence necessarily of Derek Lewis really being shot. Perhaps he's lost a step that he may have gained yeah. in that time, but it, it, it's not really suggestive that he's like fallen off completely. I think these are all, uh, you know, uh, varying degrees of yes, he definitely would have lost this fight or he might've lost. They it are now. all yes. And losses. Uh -huh. the, the, there are a couple of concerns for me. I will say, and there's really honestly just one concern here that makes me wonder if he's, if it's a why not both kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, which is that I think Derek Lewis has decided that he is a better fighter than he is. Mm. And I think it is pushing him into a place where he is going to lose fights that he used to win and he's or he's going to lose fights that he used to lose and he's going to lose them more easily. Um, and, and what what's the transformation specifically that you're seeing? The transformation I'm seeing is that for a long time, the, the transformation that made Derek Lewis a top five fighter was that Derek Lewis learned to be calm and learned to not push the pace, to not stress out over anything, to just kind of hang in back. Peace. Yeah. Have he repeated, peace. He repeated his mantra, my balls is still hot. My yeah. balls is still hot. There we go. Yeah. Real, real Zen guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would go out there and he would just kind of sit back and every now and then he'd uncork a huge strike or a huge flurry and otherwise, he'd let the fight happen. And if, you know, even if that didn't go well for him, 
he would, you know, he went deep. He went four rounds with Mark Hunt in a miserable style clash. And two rounds with JDS. And, you know, these fights that even if they were bad for him, he was surviving for a while and kind of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And I think where he's gotten to recently is... You know, I've put all this time in training. I've won all these fights. I am the KO king of the heavyweight division. I'm going to go out there and make some stuff happen. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to punish people. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to assert myself. Mm -hmm. And that kind of denies the reality of what brought him here. Yeah sort of the the shore trying to defeat the sea you know (laughs) it's not the approach is entirely just letting the fight wash over him until the 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 win accidentally appears yeah yeah i i do kind of see what you're saying there was definitely a period there right before this slump where yeah curtis blades like i'm thinking well especially like the dowk house win that was the the fight where i really was like oh wow He's yeah. got some different in mind. Because I think the gone fight might have been the fight that really changed his mind. Yeah. Where he sat back the way he normally does and gone just pulled him apart. Mm-hmm. In a way that would gone would pull him apart at any time. Yeah. But, but he was he, clearly trying to be more proactive, you know, trying to do like the stuff that good fighters do. Yeah. Against Takas and against Tuivasa. Yeah, and, and just, against Tuivasa. Yeah. Got him into a firefight where again uh, I don't think it doesn't look like he's fallen off, but I think you're right that there was maybe an attempt to change. Yeah. And what usually results in like a weird lull, uh, an inability to like pull the trigger or like uh, overthinking for other fighters who make a like late career drastic yeah. adjustment at heavyweight, it results in you getting slept. Yeah. Especially if you're starting from the, the uh, incredible depth of skill, the, <laughs> Not, not the term I'm looking for. The depth as in very low level of skill yeah, yeah. that Derek Lewis was starting from. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that, that tracks for me. And that could be a problem here with Spivak, honestly. Just because yeah. if he goes out and rushes Spivak and Spivak, because Spivak, we know one thing at the very least. Spivak is going to take Derek Lewis down in the first round. Yeah, probably. Almost. Probably. I So... Here, here's where I get into how irrelevant the whole uh, the whole uh, washed or not conversation may be. Yeah, the guy, a guy like Spivak has literally never been the guy to beat Derek Lewis. I know, I know. Um, and there are some differences. I mean, you and I both like Spivak. He's he's got a shockingly well-rounded game for a heavyweight. Sure. He is he he's really close to like uh an all terrain fighter. Mm-hmm. Um and he keeps a good pace. Like he, he does a lot of non typical heavyweight things that have got him to this point. Yeah, he's doing all the stuff you have to do if you're not gonna be a heavyweight with any yeah. punch power, which is yeah. you have to be super durable, you have to be able to grind, and you have to have cardio. Yeah, he's like um um, Rashid, uh, what was the guy's name? Oh, yeah. Uh, or like classic Shamil. 
yeah, Abdurakhimov, like these guys, but like with a little more emphasis on wrestling, mm-hmm. which by the way, was like what Shamil ended up doing to Derek Lewis, which was like a pivotal moment in us to figuring out what was going on in these Derek Lewis fights. Yeah. Yeah. He has like a, uh, extremely simplified version of the Neil Magny effect on most Mm -hmm. of his opponents. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is yeah, that has never been the style. Even with, I think like harder hitting better athletes than Sergey. Absolutely. And, And I'm also, uh, not convinced, honestly, that Spivak's wrestling is very good. In it's fact, I think it's better. I think it's pretty bad, though. Like a yeah. lot of the takedowns. This is the thing. This is the the, the endless difficulty of heavyweight and trying to analyze and, and make predictive analysis based on the heavyweight results. Is that like heavyweights are just bad at everything? Yeah. So you can go a shockingly long way with a really shallow skill set. I think one of the things that will make Spivak successful here and getting at least one takedown and Lewis's counter wrestling is actually getting better. It is. That's, you know, like he, he has reason to be more confident now than he used to be. Exactly. He yeah. has made technical improvements. It's just, I, I, they're not the technical improvements he thinks he thinks he's made. Yeah. Um, or they don't cover the holes that he thinks they cover. Mm. Um, but one thing I noticed from Spivak is that uh, he is really good at pursuing upper body clinch takedowns. Yeah. That's and I thing. I think those he can make that work on Lewis early. If he's if he's just willing to go out there and get clinched up with Lewis. Lewis will get clinched up and he's huge. So it may be that he will try to trip Lewis and Lewis will just land on him. Yeah. That's happened certainly to other yeah. fighters. Um, but if he can get, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be shocked if he can at least successfully trip Lewis, even if it's not successfully. It's, it's a more promising area, but yeah, then then shooting in on Lewis and like yeah. just running into a brick wall and then ending up with him on top of you and you're yeah. sprawled and you can never escape again. Yeah, because that's where Spivak re- wrestling really lacks is that he's he's so big and lanky that his he doesn't have a lot of leg drive to no. be able to push through a shot. So he's and not. A yeah, I don't think you should try that against Derek anyway, unless no. you're you know Curtis Blades, and even then, obviously something can go wrong. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is I think that's a better approach in general for heavyweight takedown artists. Yep. Like I think Fedor had the yep. right idea when he espoused clinch takedowns and upper body work and trips. Yeah. Uh, as being the best way to, yeah, not to, to make an effort to take down a big dude without any chance really of ending up underneath him unless something goes dramatically wrong, but you're not putting yourself underneath his bulk from step one. No, but how much of Spivak's success with those takedowns is just because I'm, I'm trying to find a middle ground here. Cause I think they're categorically more effective against heavyweights, but I also yeah. think at a certain point when your opponent is big and strong enough, um, they don't. Know, yeah. How much of these takedowns working just because his opponents are heavyweights and yeah. does that apply? Because I think he hit three takedowns on Augusto Sakai. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't call one of them a good technical takedown. Sure. These are like trips 
and hip tosses hit from the worst positions of leverage where like, yeah. yeah, if your opponent's just a little more stable, they could just throw him on his ass because he's putting himself in a really vulnerable position and they're really inefficient. Um, and so if they don't work repeatedly, they could gas Spivak, which is a terrible place to end up. And that is oh, the yeah. same thing that has happened to everyone else who's tried to out wrestle Derek. Yep. Or they might get him, yeah, just like dramatically reversed and, and crushed in one moment, which has also happened to people who've tried to take Derek down. Yep. I just don't think, and, and that's not to mention the fact that his entries into the clinches, while oh, yeah. he will definitely get them, they're also really bad. Yeah. He just like sort of ducks down, bends at the back, and just runs forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's not even as, it's easier to counter than the Curtis Blades level change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that Derek successfully countered. That was an actual level change. I, I guess my big worry is really that a more aggressive, more assertive Lewis is going to walk himself into situations where he can be off balanced more yeah. easily. Yeah. And because he feels like he should be more aggressive and more assertive and more successful, might be less chill. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think that's, that's distinctly possible that he might be more frustrated when things stop working. Yeah. Because he feels like he, he should have this in control. This should be easy by now. Yeah. So I'm worried about this, even though I know, and even though you're right, that Spivak is absolutely not the guy to beat Derek Lewis. Right. It has always taken a puncher to beat Derek Lewis. Yep. Always. Um, I'm still concerned. I, I, I'll pick Derek Lewis along with you still. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'll, I came in prepared to pick Spivak just for just for the gut feeling of of it all that like he's a decade younger and he has put together a game that at least you know it's it's rugged it's all around he doesn't get tired. It's the kind of game you want to see. It yeah. makes way more sense than Derek's game. Yeah. But it is not the kind of game that has ever beat Derek Lewis. It isn't. And and I think uh, Spivak is is in for exactly the rude awakening that all these other people have faced against Derek, which is like, yeah, you just get like a super easy road if you incorporate a healthy diet of takedowns into your fights because no heavyweights can stop them. And then yeah. also no heavyweights can get back up Yeah, when you take them down. And we just know those those don't really apply i think derek is better at stopping takedowns than he ever has been yeah and he's always been exceptionally good at getting up he just bides his time in a relatively safe position and finds his moment and then power lifts his way out yeah and um and i think this combined with the fact that yeah like this is the rude awakening aspect that sergey has gotten these takedowns and no one has had the opportunity to teach him like these are bad takedowns yeah. You're wasting a ton of energy. You are muscling around these guys who are stronger than you, and it's only working because they literally can't. They, they, they're like 50-50 on falling over even before you touch them. They have no balance. And, yeah, I just think um, even if he does get Derek down, uh, I, I unless you're right, um, I think Derek is still capable of just kind of weathering that sort of storm. 
Yeah, we'll find out. I'm I'm willing to take this chance with you. Uh, I feel like I've been picking Derek Lewis to be able to come out on the lucky side of the coin that he used to come out on all the time lately, and it's just not happening. Yeah. But I will go. I, this will be the last ride. Uh, yeah, and if, even if, then, if, is that the side of the coin he used to come out on? Like he did, he wasn't really beating all the punchers he faced. I know, before. I know, I know. But the Those two are all fight, guys... especially, was a fight where it's just like, man, this is such a fifty-fifty coin flip, and it was. But I don't know. Like I'm just. Yeah, but this is a guy who went to a split decision with Roy Nelson. I know. Who got crushed by Mark Hunt. I know. You know who I had know. an awful, awful fight with Francis Ngannou in which no one won. Like, these are the best results he's had against genuine punchers ever. I know. I know. You're not wrong. I'm just, there's a vibe, and I can't shake it. Yeah. Um, but I'm still, but if he loses this fight, then the, then like, yeah, this is one of those worst loss yet kind of. Yeah. If he loses this, then we know, then we know that the bloom is off the rose. That's not a knock on Sergey. Obviously it's just that this is not the style that usually beats him. Yeah. It's just like, what, what are you going to be? What, what are you supposed to do that Alexander Volkov couldn't? Yeah. You know, that's really the question. Shamil Abdurahimov, you know, close to his prime couldn't or. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Spivak opened at minus 180, dropped to minus 228. It's currently at minus 231. Marching Tibora, great example, who beat Spivak. What are you going to do that Tibora couldn't? Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Uh, Lewis opened at plus 150, jumped up to plus 187, and is currently at plus 187. I get it. He's on some losses. I feel that vibe. Spivak is on some wins. We we can see and feel it in the air. It's just we're not. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to give up on Derek Lewis for Sergey Spivak. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout: Daun Jung, Devin Clark, and uh, Daun Jung is going to win. Yeah, I mean this one's pretty simple. Uh, Jung has not very good. Yeah, Jung has unfortunately the Dustin Jacoby fight kind of showed something that Sam Alvey fight was a warning of. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, which is uh, I think it's kind. I don't want to like generalize for a whole country, but there's a propensity for Korean fighters to a lot of them. They they all seem to kind of train like RoboCop. You know, where like the the core of the style is I am going to be right here in the pocket with my eyes perfectly fixed on you so that I can punch you really hard when you come in to punch me. Mm -hmm. I am going to be here and I am going to be looking for my shots and I it would be a coward's way out to ever step back or slip something. Mm hmm. And Daun Jung has gotten away with that because he's huge. Yeah. Six foot four with a 78 and a half inch reach. Yeah. Usually the pocket for him is not the pocket for his opponents. Yeah. And because he's durable. Mm -hmm. But Dustin Jacoby did just go out there and sleep him. Yep. On the counter, as it always happens with this kind of fighter. Yeah. And it, it is... The possibility is there, but Devin Clark is not that guy. Yeah. He is not any kind for as, for as, as built as he is, 
for as much of a brick shithouse as he is, he is zero kind of knockout artist. Yep. He does not have any of the cleanliness of technique nor the consistency of delivery to do more than surprise somebody one time. Yep. You know, he can, he will be out there at range and he can throw out a head kick that you didn't see coming and you'll be like, Oh wow. He's hurt, but he can't follow that up with anything. Yeah. To do, to actually put somebody away. Devin Clark is to me, one of the most pronounced cases of like wasted potential. Mm -hmm. Cause I think he is, he's incredibly tough. He's yeah, mentally and physically. He is just yeah. a super durable fighter, and he is a beast of an athlete. He can be yep. visibly much smaller than his opponent, and they will still be shocked when they like tie up with him. Yep. Um, he's very strong. He's fast. I think he he's more than a good enough athlete to be a meaningful puncher. Uh, and we have seen it when he does surprise people. Like, yeah, he, he, he can he can crush people with single strikes. But we talk so much about fighters who do or don't have a process. Devin Clark is an utter lack of process. Yeah. He has, there is no connective tissue whatsoever to his striking. Like, the, the man doesn't yeah. jab. He doesn't faint. He has no defense. Uh, he doesn't throw combinations. And yeah. each each individual strike that he does try to surprise people with, puts him out of position. Yep. This is a no guy is more in need of just a boxing coach to teach him the barest fundamentals of striking. And I'm confident literally like not to do a six months of sprawl training thing, but six months in a boxing gym, I think Devin Clark would be like a mainstay in the top 15 of light heavyweight. Could be. I mean, he doesn't, ha he doesn't have it. Yeah. And he's, it's, I think it's honestly one of those cases where his dad is his trainer yeah. And so that has just stunted his development because he like will not expand and learn new things. It's just, you know, it's like a, it's like Sean Porter situation. Do you remember, uh, Sean Porter, the boxer when he fought, um, Terrence Crawford mm. and his dad just like buried him on the mic after the fight. Yeah. His, his dad was like, yeah, my son is a, is a, my son is a weakling. He didn't work hard enough. And it's like, I feel like that's what's going on with Devin Clark. His dad's in the corner giving him lots of motivation and like mm -hmm. being like a, a, a 10 times angrier version of Henry Hooft. Yeah. But with none of the stuff Henry Hooft actually instills in his fighters to make them win. Yeah. It's not Henry Hooft's endless disappointment. No. <laughs> makes the fighters win. It might be a factor, but it's the, it's the training. It's the technical education yeah. no. combined. Uh -huh. Hooft is actually generally one of those fight, one of those guys who really probably just shouldn't be in most corners for his fighters. He has also improved in that regard. Like Henry Hooft he has, yeah. has notably gotten, he has learned to be a better communicator in the quarter and, and, and to be a better, like positive motivator. Yeah. Um, Devin Clark's father, you know, what, what father is going to be like, Oh, I have to do better for my son. Fathers are assholes. <laughs> thing is, me like my son has to do what I say. The thing is though, at this point too, like their relationship, their, 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 their fighter coach relationship is so clearly codependent that like, yes, exactly. It does actually, the, the, it does work in at least one sense for Devin Clark to have his dad in the corner, which is probably enough to 
never try and do something different. Because, like, he will, Clark will get down on himself. He will be out. He will be getting shellacked and shit kicked. Mm -hmm. And his dad will give him some, like, fire and brimstone pep talk. Absolutely. And he will come out with fire. He will come out like he has been energized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's effective. Yeah works for him in that sense he might not be getting any of the right advice he might not be getting any of the right training but there's enough corner like that that there's enough relationship that they are comfortable with yeah that like he i i'm sure he feels like he couldn't do without it you know oh and maybe you know if and and i'm obviously completely guessing i do not know their relationship but you know I think that could be a perfectly healthy thing to have in the corner if you also have somebody giving you technical advice. Yeah, yeah. If you're also getting that advice and getting the right drills and partner work in the gym. And it's just pretty clear to me that for all of his physical and mental potential, um, Devin Clark is not getting any of that, that kind of instruction. He just, will, hasn't gotten, he just hasn't gotten better. I will say this. Very likely this will be a three-round beating because Daun Jung, given a uh, given his own fight, likes to keep a pretty even set, like ones and twos, kicks. Yeah. You know, just kind of be a rangy uh, sniper kind of fighter. And Clark has huge amounts of problems handling that. Yep. But is tough and does not go away and does not does not get less powerful or slow down even as he gets really tired. Yeah. This so sure a dude who remains exactly the same guy even when he's gasping for breath. Yeah. So he will probably just be in there to take three rounds of punishment for Don from Don Joe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Huge reach, reach disadvantage. No way to work around that, but he can probably yeah. absorb everything Da and Jung gives him. Yep. Odds on the bout: Jung opened at minus two fifty, bounced up and down a bit, but is currently at minus two forty seven. Clark opened at plus one ninety, is currently at plus one ninety eight. Mm. All right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout: Marcin Tybura. Blagoy Ivanov. Mm. And I'm, I'm weirdly into this fight, I gotta be honest. Yeah, you're in for you you are you are down for the the wall install masterclass. It's gonna be brutal to watch. It's gonna be so bad. It is gonna be and the thing is is that it will be absolutely unquestionable. you know I say unquestionable. I, I gotta be confident here. What's what's the point of doing a show like this if we're not gonna be confident? <laughs> um I am absolutely confident that this will be a split decision. Mm. Oh, yeah. It has it has split decision written all over it. This will be a split decision where it will literally be decided by who was on the outside while they were hugging more. <laughs> yeah, and I think output will also play a factor. Like, Yeah. I mean, for as I, long as they're at range, Tabora is just a much more consistent pace fighter than Ivanov. Yeah. Think that will be a major edge for him too. I just don't think they're going to stay at range at all because both men are highly, highly apt to swing and cling. Yeah, big time. 
like Tybura, he will if he if he's not getting hurt and if nobody is really like pushing him, he will stay outside and do his best Keith Jardine impression. Mm-hmm. He'll just you know kind of jank and like jitter his way out at range from mm-hmm. one twos and an occasional low kick that makes his gigantic head sort of dip forward in a really amusing way. Mm-hmm. Um. But if he if his opponent is like swinging big shots at him and seems at all in any sort of peril to hurt him at all, mm-hmm. then his his game immediately becomes a one two into the clinch, put you on the fence. Mm-hmm. I, saw Black, I saw Keith yeah. the other day, by the way. Oh, did you? My girlfriend's been watching that show, Preacher. Oh, okay. And he shows up as a uh, a regular whorehouse attendant. <laughs> And I was like, hey, that's the guy with the pointy gray beard. That's Keith Jardine. That's the Dean of Mean. He had a line and everything. I was very proud of him. You know, if anybody had a face made for yeah. television. Yeah. Like. So, yeah. To play like a, a guy who works at like a seedy meatpacking plant. Yeah. And then hangs out playing poker at the bordello. Yeah. <laughs> that is Keith Jardine to a T. It really, he really, I'm glad he found his niche. Yeah. Just the look, because by all by all accounts, Keith Jardine's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, no, I you know <laughs> wish wish man all the happiness in the world. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, Blagoy Ivanov, he will absolutely swing the kind of big shots at Tybura that yeah. will turn this into a clinching match. And type and Ivanov, like the only reason he doesn't swing and cling more than he already does, which is a lot. It's just because he's short and people won't let him. Mm-hmm. They'll just take a little step back from him and turn the whole fight into like a cage circling. Yeah. And ideally, he likes to let them come to him. I mean, he yeah. has a, a, a because of his frame, but also his temperament, he has a, a counter puncher's bent. Yeah. And so these swing and cling opportunities just they have to be given to him rather than yeah. him drawing them out himself. But I, I, I just think it's gonna happen. I think Yeah, yeah. I think you've got basically you've just got two magnets in the cage. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and Tibora, I mean Tibora, as as I sort of mentioned in the main event discussion, he really is just like a slightly more successful version of Sergei Spivak. Yeah. In fact, a notably more successful version. It's almost a shame that he's being given this fight. I don't know that it, I it's a bad fight for him. Honestly. Yeah, because like the dude just beat Romanov. Yeah. Um He did in, it was a draw, I will say this. That fight was absolutely a draw. He did not beat Romanov. Sure. But still, but like Romanov gets it. Romanov gets a step up after that. Yeah. He's fighting Volkov. Yeah. And Tabora gets a definite step down. Yeah. Meanwhile, a guy that he just beat not long ago is fighting in the main event. Somebody else brought this up and I, and they were like, why is this, you know, what's, you know, what, where's the Tybura gang at to like be mad about this? And it's just like the unfortunate, the unfortunate thing for Marcin Tybura is everybody in the world has now seen all the Marcin Tybura they need to see. (laughs) Like there's nobody showing up being like, man, I can't wait for the next Marcin Tybura fight. Yeah. The appetite for Marching Tabura is well and truly sated. Yeah, he and he's gotten better. 
He's winning fights that he used to lose. Mm -hmm. He is more calm. He is more controlled. He is a more within himself functional heavyweight than he ever has been at any point in his career. Mm -hmm. But he's gotten there through a path that people are like, oh, yeah, that guy. Terrible to watch. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Tabora has had a bit of a Derek Lewis uh, transcendent yeah. uh, change as well. Like for Tabora, it's actually extra funny. Actually, it's kind of like Derek because while Derek is like being Zen, he sort of just looks like he's having a terrible time. And yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. not real Zen. It's like he's just at peace with suffering. It's very yeah, blessed. yeah. He's it's it's very goth of him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went for Buddhist, but goth Derek Lewis is better. <laughs> yeah. The black lipstick beast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Marching Tabora has a similar thing where, like, yeah, he's just gotten much better at weathering. I mean, so many of these yeah. recent wins have just featured him getting trashed in the first round. Yeah. But through all of this, this zen of his, he just looks, like, desperate and depressed. Mm-hmm. These are like ugly fights. He is having to fight tooth and nail for every inch. And uh, all it results in is just like a series of really ugly fights. Yeah. But credit to the man. He deserves better than this matchup. He does. He has he has put together a remarkably successful UFC career. Yeah. But I think he's like six and one in his last seven or something like that. He mm-hmm. is a very winning heavyweight. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I got to assume that... Tibora just being more proactive is going to win in this fight because Ivanov, as I said, as, as a smaller man, is going to spend more time with his back to the cage. Yeah. Tibora has more tools at that range. So as long as they are in the spaces between punch and clutch tie ups, like Tibora is a solid kicker. Mm hmm. Uh, Tibora puts together hideous combinations, but he does put together more combinations than Ivanov. Yep. Um, and then while they are clinching, I think this is the sticking point is that Ivanov is actually very difficult to out wrestle. He really is. He's just not, not only is he a good defensive wrestler by heavyweight standards, but he's just, he's just really stocky. Yeah. It's like trying to pick up. It's like trying to pick up a big bag of sand. Yeah. He's, he's like that Atlas stone thing they have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not made to be picked up. It's it may weigh less than the barbell, but there's something about the shape of it that just makes yeah. it really difficult. <laughs> Ooh, you got to put put Ivanov up on a. Sh- I'm imagining <laughs> Ivanov's mother putting him in like the high chair at the dinner table. <laughs> just, just veins popping out of her neck. She just has like jack him up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a lift. Oh, is your son disabled? <laughs> Not exactly. Um, <laughs> like that. What? There's a thing that they did. He's like dense. He's dense-abled. <laughs> so that thing that they that somebody 3D printed that like the engineering thing they 3D printed where like it has no edge that it, it can rest on. <laughs> you know, like the shape can't. It can't ever like it has no surface where it will ever just stay. Mm. Yeah, he's that. And so, so wait, I think I just realized that's actually just a ball. So never mind. <laughs> An engineering marvel. An engineering <laughs> marvel. Somebody reinvented the ball. It's such a nice thing to do. Like we used a three D printer to create something with no edges or with no no flat surfaces. It's like yeah, it's just a ball. Yeah. 
Which is also essentially the thing I already said about Ivanov yeah. being an Atlas stone. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah, I do think that is going to lead to some really ugly clinch exchanges. Mm-hmm. But I also think, like you basically said at the top, those clinch exchanges are more often going to be created by Tibura. He mm-hmm. is more often going to be the one not with his back to the fence. Yeah. And I have a feeling he may also, having... I don't know how much, but I, I have to think there's a height advantage. Uh, yeah. Ivanov is tiny. 6'3". Ivanov is 5'11". Yeah. That there will probably be a few more opportunities to land, like, weak knees to the body and the clinch and stuff like that for Tabura as well. Yep. Um, yeah. And if he does get a takedown, I do think he's also just a better positional grappler than Ivanov. Yeah. Tabora, that is one thing of an aspect of his game that has, I think, become more and more effective for him in this. You, you have to lean Tabora here. The, yeah. the real only big reason to, like I say, that this could be a split and all that is a they could just get nothing done in the clinch, literally nothing. Because when if I, if Ivanov gets clinch control, it gets to control clinches. Yeah, he does not have an active clinch. No, he does not. Uh, and if one of them is going to get shook up by a punch in any round, absolutely, it is going to be Marcin Tabora. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I also thought, I mean, to be fair to Ivanov, um, he may be like a, a very consistent fighter for better and for worse, mm-hmm. but um, I actually thought he looked pretty good in his last fight. Yeah. I thought he looked a little more, uh, well, markedly more aggressive. Well, you know what's insane? Hmm. He's the younger man. I, that is, Phil said the same thing, and I cannot believe it. Even like, obviously, he's 45. He is I'm sorry. Even born 45. Look, the man's face is 45. Tabora, at one year older, has such a baby face. He really does. I can't, I, he looks like he's wearing a fake beard. He's also, Ivanov has been fighting for four years longer. So it really is one of those things where Ivanov has been around for so long. Yeah. You know, this is a dude, there is footage of him and Ilir Latifi breaking a ring in Bulgaria in 2008. Breaking a ring? Yeah, they were like fighting a, like in a, a ring, ring and they, oh. they, they collapsed the thing. Oh, yeah, that's such a heavyweight MMA thing to happen. Right. Wow. He he fought... Who did you say he just fought? Elir Latifi. I was going to say, just after that, he fought Fujita. Yeah. Who I was just watching his classic fight with Fedor on uh, Twitter. He fought Rico Rodriguez. Wow. Yeah. Storied career, and was almost stabbed to death by, like, a Russian gangster. Um, yeah. What a life Blagoy Ivanov has lived. So, yeah, I, I like Ivanov. I, I think he's, a, he's an interesting fighter in a very uninteresting way. He's going to yeah. give it a tough fight. And there, it is possible that if that Rogerio de Lima fight is any indication, maybe he comes out and if he can get on the front foot at all, he yeah. might honestly be able to make Tabura pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, he's the bigger puncher. He's got the better chin. Yeah. And Tabura is a terrible, I mean, he's an active defensive striker more so than ever before, but it is terrible defense. I've pointed yeah. it out many times, but I have never, ever seen somebody who literally just covers their face with their forearm when they're like worried about a right yeah. hand, it is yeah. the most 
It is uh, unschooled striking defense I've ever seen. The man really looks like Ronda Rousey's his boxing coach. Honestly, yes. Um, so there, there's a lot of room for Ivanov to win this. Like, for all just have, reasons that it's definitely going to be a split. <laughs> yeah, Shannon and Power are the biggest. They're the biggest qualities a heavyweight to have, and Tybura does not have. Yeah, a great deal of either. Yeah, and so. Ivanov's got more chin than Power, but he he does have enough. He's Phil compared him to Rafael Sunsau. Mm, yeah, and I think that is fair. Like he definitely has enough power to scare people off, but he never finishes anyone. No. Tybura opened at minus 185, currently up at minus 138. Ivanov opened at plus 155, currently down at plus 113. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Duho Choi, Kyle Nelson. Mm-hmm. And um, how shot is the Korean Superman? Probably not this shot. Mm. Uh, like he was giving Charles Jordan a pretty good fight. Sure. Uh, and he was giving Jeremy Stevens a pretty good fight. Of course, those were three, four, and five years ago now. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of cause for concern there. Uh, but I, you know, I'm I would be more willing to feel like time off is probably what he needed, considering how young he got started and how much miles he put on himself before that point mm-hmm. i don't know i don't i'm not gonna feel like you know he's still only 31 now i don't really feel like i feel like the the point where his career stopped might have been better for him than anything else considering that cub swanson fight he had mm-hmm. um and kyle nelson like th- this is there are just so many fights that are really bad matchups for Kyle Nelson. Yeah, well, he's a bad matchup. He's a bad matchup for himself. Yes. Is the real problem. He has a self-defeating style. Yep. He is not a bad athlete. No. He does not have the worst striking technique out there. Not at all. He's sharp. He's powerful. He's sharp. He's powerful. He throws with speed and commitment. Mm-hmm. He throws straight punches. I mean, yep. yeah, there's a lot to like about Kyle Nelson. And he is a really good shot wrestler, too, honestly. Has a really good dynamic shot. Yeah. But he has never been and probably never will be a comfortable or happy fighter in the cage. Yeah, he is He is another person with um, with with great physical potential, but a serious mental hang-ups that he just... yeah is so tense that he's just has like a, a short candle kind of vibe to all his yeah. fights just blazes he, out in the first seven minutes. Yep. And the, the, the most worrying thing about this fight, cause he could go out there and he could just put Korean Superboy on his ass, knock him out, whatever it's, it yep. could all happen. The most worrying thing is that fight with Jai Herbert. He Jai Herbert is somebody he could have done that to, too. Like yeah. Jai Herbert is a very defeatable striker, mm-hmm. you know, much bigger, much, bigger. much rangier. That's, that's the thing, but very defeatable. And maybe it was just the range. I'm not willing to say, not willing to write, write that off. 
If you're an anxious fighter to begin with. Yeah, if you're an anxious fighter to begin with, maybe it was just range. But Nelson did not look at all comfortable with the idea of throwing in that yeah. fight. Yeah. And a Kyle Nelson who doesn't come out guns blazing is a lost cause. Because he's going to get tired no matter what. The tiredness does not come from his level of activity. It comes from his level of stress. Mm -hmm. And if he has any, if he's hesitating, like he's just, he's just going to be there to be hit. And the thing, you know, like, cause maybe he comes out and he shoots in or he tries to control Duho Choi. Like that's what he did to Jai Herbert to put him on the fence, tried to slow him down, tried to get the fight to slow down and all that. Duho Choi's a good scrambler. He's not an easy fighter to hold down. He's maybe not the easiest fighter, hardest fighter to take down because he is so willing to stay planted and stay in the pocket. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't get held down by anybody. Yeah. He doesn't just get controlled. Uh, You know, he's very much in that uh, Chan Sung Jung mold in that kind Mm -hmm. of way where it's just like... Yeah, you, a lot of people could take Chan Sung Jung down, but he was a very hard fighter to handle once he was on the ground. Then uh, I got to pick Duho Choi at that point. Like, yeah, if he's not going to hold him down, and if he's not going to come out confident, I got to pick Duho Choi to to win. And uh, you know, I'm fully here and prepared for. Nelson to knock him out. Nelson's capable, but I I just don't like he is self defeating. Successor no, Kyle Nelson will self defeat. Mm-hmm. Duho Choi, like you have to you he is very, you can take the fight from him at any time, mm-hmm. but it's not because he is giving it away you know he's not he's not imploding you have to take it from him yeah i mean i'm i I think i'm maybe a bit more concerned about this than you um just because i mean i fully agree with the whole read on kyle nelson and and that includes all the positives like yeah and and i i'm not probably i'm just a little more ready to think what I saw from Nelson in the fight with Jai Herbert looked just to me, thing. It looked to me like what happens to an already anxious fighter yeah. when they just experience. It's got to be probably the biggest reach disadvantage he's ever experienced, especially yeah, because Nelson true. is usually the bigger or at least the longer armed fighter. Yeah, so that's he, fair. I think he looked completely um, unprepared for the idea of somebody being able to touch him out of his range yeah and um otherwise yeah for for as long as he's in the fight um nelson is 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 a good fighter yes he's very dangerous he hits really hard Mm -hmm. he's super well-rounded and he's quite technical yeah um it is just the yeah the 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 short wick kind of problem that he has and um, I don't know, man. I just don't really know what to think of Duho Choi right now. 
Yeah, well, he's, he's so... basically an unknown at this point. It's been three yeah. years and change since his last fight. You, we really have no idea what is going to happen. Yeah. What he's been doing in the gym, how prepared he is, how much his chin has just broken down to the point that he can't support any of the kind of fight he wants to have anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. So the idea of him going in there, you know, given his recent results, they've, they've, they've all been finishes. Are they not? There was the Cup Swanson no, one. Swanson was a decision. And then Jeremy Stevens and Charles Jordan both finished him in the second round. Yeah. Um, in there against a long-armed, serious puncher. It's only the a chance... one-reach difference between them, but yeah. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it's enough yeah. reach to, to be able to hit Duha Choi uh, at range where he's yeah. throwing his own shots. Yeah. Um, with the distinct possibility that he is going to start kind of cold. Sure. Um, after, a, I think, his longest layoff yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just think there's a really serious chance that Kyle Nelson just, like, KOs him or takes him down and, and TKOs him on the ground. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, any, any duo Choi losing any fight is not going to ever be a surprise to me. At no. This- He's, he is a, uh, yeah, he, he lives and dies by the sword. Yep. Sometimes both in one fight. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm also going to pick Duha Choi. It's mostly just because I have more concrete reasons to distrust Kyle Nelson. Yeah. Than because I actually trust Duha Choi. I, I mean, no. I, I, it's almost like I, uh, yeah, I have every reason to dis- distrust Duha Choi as well, but I just haven't seen him lose to somebody like Kyle Nelson who will, uh, as you said, take himself out of the fight by, you know, big degrees at a time. Or we'll just have yeah. a sudden, like, precipitous drop-off. Yeah. And, and you know, too, if Duho Choi doesn't start cold, then he'll bring exactly the kind of fight to Kyle Nelson that Kyle Nelson can't sustain. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Uh, Choi opened at minus 270, is currently minus 186. Nelson opened at plus 210, is currently at plus 152. I'm going to check this, but uh, Nelson wins by TKO. KO is plus 400. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to bet on it, why not? Yeah, because, like, what's I have percentage? no reason to trust that Duo Choi doesn't get knocked out in this fight. Yeah, what's his percentage? Pretty sure it's all early finishes in his wins. He has one split decision win. He's got you he, can you can guess very clearly how that played out. And one regular decision. At Other, otherwise, there's two submissions, and otherwise, it's all first round TKOs. Yeah, the, he he had, he had a couple uh, for Nelson. You're saying yeah, or for oh for Nelson, okay. And for Duho Choi, it's almost all first round knockouts. Yeah. But that's just, you know, if Nelson is going to win, it's yeah. going to be it's going to be a KO in the first six, seven minutes of the fight. Yeah. So why not? If you uh, feel like wasting money, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to our final fight of the main card. Yusaku Kinoshita against Adam Fujit. Mm. I like to think of it more as a British man who's given up. Fuck it, mate. Fuck it. Fuck it. Um, yeah, this one uh, should be reasonably interesting It'll to watch. Uh-huh. Um, I quite like Kinoshita's style. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I got to say, like for there, there are sort of two types of Japanese fighters on this card. There are some notable examples of the the archetype you're always mentioning, mm-hmm. guys who just do not seem to have the the right understanding of like pace and output. Yeah, who so seem like they have literally trained every single move of their career in a different room with a different person, and then have only fought at half tempo. Yeah, I wonder if that is a thing. Is there? You'd think there'd be a strong culture of. Uh, MMA gyms in Japan, but is there a there, thing where guys just get a lot of piecemeal training, one yeah, person and the other? The the training situation in Japan has been noted as being shockingly weak for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, a, that, that's, that, that's that, that, uh, Team Alpha Male was able to just kind of go in immediately and be like, "Hey, everybody who wants to fight in the UFC at some point that's Japanese, just come." through our gym and like train yeah. over here with us. We, we do MMA training. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it honestly, they've had some good results. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, for all that, there are several Japanese fighters on this card who remind me more of what I expect out of Korean MMA fighters. Mm-hmm. Very aggressive. Yeah. Um, and Kinoshita is one of them. Yep. This is a guy who, is extremely comfortable pressuring. Um, even when he isn't letting tons of strikes go, his instinct is to keep the opponent backing up. He hits them with feints. Yep. He doesn't put a lot of combinations together, but he does play threats off of each other pretty well. Yeah. You know, this guy will back you off with a punch feint, will wing a big punch, sees you turning away and fires the low kick next time. Um, so he's a fairly well-rounded striker. He's he is instinctively aggressive, and um, someday pretty soon he is going to get knocked out with a head kick because he oh, has yeah. his style of head movement. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like literally like turning away and looking down at the floor for a second when he's slipping a punch. But at the very least, he does seem aware that there are going to be punches coming back at him after he throws, and he mm-hmm. does try to get out of the way. So for a guy who's only six and one, I think he's got some potential. Yeah, it's it's right there. Um, how that's going to play out with Fugit, I'm not entirely sure. Like, um, Fugit didn't look bad, really, in his fight with uh, um, Morales, Michael Morales, is it? Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he made Morales work for it. I think a lot of that was just taking advantage of Morales's totally unearned overconfidence. Mm-hmm. That Morales is just in there like, oh, I'm huge. I hit really hard. I have a wrestling background. Like, who is going to beat me? Yeah. I have all the basic, the essential uh, ingredients. And Fuga was just in there like, oh, well, I'm going to counterpunch you. I'm going to take you down. Um, I'm going to press you at times. And, and And Morales is just one of these fighters who is not going to learn to like tighten up his game until he absolutely has to. Cause otherwise yeah. it's really easy for him to just figure things out as he goes. He's that kind of athlete. If you get reminds me a lot of like a, a stretched out hyper inflated, uh, Ju- juicy J Julian Arosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where like, he's really all about like, I am going to step into the pocket. Yeah. And crush you with some big shots, but I'm also going to be right there in the pocket, stepping in, and you know I am. 
Yeah. And on the regionals, this works out really well for me. But in the UFC, like every time he stepped in on Morales, he also just got hurt like really yep. badly. He stepped into some brutal jabs, like yeah, straight onto the end of a lance. But then also can wrestle and grapple enough to like yeah. make fights really surprisingly difficult on people. You know, yeah. like there is a he he very much has a high level quadruple a MMA game. That's like, Oh yeah, you could win every title in LFA or, mm-hmm. you know, CFFC or in King of the cage or whatever. Every time the UFC cuts you, you're going to go out and win five fights immediately. Yeah. You'll be ROC champion by the end of next year. Yeah. ROC still exists. I don't know. And then the UFC will bring you back and you'll immediately get sparked by some guy. Yep. That's kind of how Adam Fungit feels. For me. Yeah. And it, it's probably mostly just a physicality thing. He's kind of slow. Yeah. You know, he's just, just a little slow. cumbersome. Uh, foot slow and his strikes come pretty slowly yeah. too. Like he just doesn't have hand speed to, to make up for the lack of foot speed. Um, really the most impressive thing about him that makes him look like some kind of athlete is his shot. I mean, he's a, he is a pretty solid wrestler. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I do think that leads to an interesting uh, dynamic here where uh, Kinoshita, like most uh, natural pressure fighters, does not like being backed up. No. And, you know, I've seen fights that that road to UFC six fight of his against um, who was it? Jose Henrique Sosa uh, was Kinoshita. Huh? No. That was Contender Series. Oh, Contender Series, excuse me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, against um, Jose Henrique on Contender Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, his Contender Series fight was, uh, as long as he was pressuring, he looked quite good. But there yeah. were a couple moments where Souza backed him up and nothing worked. Yeah. Like, he has to be coming forward to be effective, to feel confident. And Fugit is going to try to test that. Mm-hmm. And with the takedowns, that may be enough reason for Kinoshita to be a little more tentative than usual. I yeah. don't really have a clear picture of how good his defensive wrestling is. I haven't seen it tested much at a decent level. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I do think he's, a bet- he's as an athlete, better suited for the UFC than Fugit. I think the, he's the faster, big thing, harder hitting. Yeah, go on. Yeah. The big thing that has me picking him here is really just how sold he is on the dynamics of power striking. Yeah. Like Fugit wants to be, he, he is very much of the, the school of like, Oh, if you land with clean technique, the speed will, it'll, you know, technique will beat speed and it will, uh, and speed will beat power Mm -hmm. basically. Is it like, oh, if I can get inside and I can land a clean hook, that's going to be enough to surprise somebody and hurt them. And in a more boxing-centric, I, like, it is still true in MMA, but it's less true in MMA than it is in something like boxing, where you can you really have the opportunity to be like, oh, we're going to have a technical exchange inside. Mm-hmm. And me being the cleaner puncher, the cleaner fighter inside is is going to make a big difference. Whereas in MMA, it'll be like, mm-hmm. yeah, but what if I do a spinning back fist while you're throwing a perfect hook and I just catch you behind the ear because you don't see it coming? 
Mm-hmm. It's the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life, but you didn't see it coming. You know, mm-hmm. it's more it, there's more chaos in MMA. Yeah. And Kinoshita very clearly has the like everything he does when he's setting up to strike from distance is set to launch his body into the pocket yeah to hit you with every ounce of weight he has yeah he doesn't um i mean th- you see it when he tries to extend a combination that he starts like swinging with muscle yeah really overdoing it but his initial strikes are always quite clean and they do get their power from like pretty good natural weight transfer yeah really good weight transfer really good and it's because he selects you know well and faints picks kicks and he'll do push kicks and low kicks and things like that like it's a very dan henderson-esque sort of if you want to like relate it to something that is easy to visualize it's he you know he sets up right hands the way dan henderson set up right hands. yeah 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 very good comparison or just be like oh here's a little low kick that launches my whole body into this punch mm-hmm. While I think honestly having um, slightly better, uh, <laughs> I'm going to blow some minds here, footwork than Dan Henderson. Well, yeah, yeah. He's I actually mean, got pretty solid pressure and footwork yeah, to go yeah. along with that. He's got, you know, and the downside is like Dan Henderson had a literal, you know, hammer in each hand. Yeah. Kinoshita doesn't quite have that. And uh, Henderson backed it up with some wrestling less and less as time went on. But otherwise, I mean, honestly, the comparison, a lot of the comparison of how they fought is not that different. Like, Kinoshita, mm-hmm. if he's pressuring and he's on the front foot, yep. he'll get a lot done. But he's also right there to be countered in the same way that Hendo was in much of the later eras of his career. You know, yeah. And there are, again, they're good signs. Like, he is aware yeah. of shots coming back. It's just yeah. I- he makes some questionable uh, his his technique in how he gets out of the way is questionable. Yeah, and, and because he's always trying to pick himself, set himself to launch himself into the pocket. Yeah, somebody who is aware of that and ready for it. He got caught with a huge elbow in his in his t- contender series fight mm-hmm. that like n- notably rocked him back. Yeah, in the those moment. are always going to be those 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 crashing elbows are going to be the shots yeah. that murder this kind of fighter for sure and you know to his credit he has every ounce of confidence in his durability that he just stepped right back in and went right back to work yeah he likes it he does like <laughs> he it. just he grins when definitely, something like that happens definitely insane yeah um so there are opportunities for fidget here but i gotta like you gotta look at that morales fight and you've got to see how poorly, you know, the, going back to the Juicy J comparison, mm-hmm. how poorly Fugit is set up to take big strikes Yeah, when they land. They shake him that is every time. He is not well situated to take hard shots because he's very dependent on his, creating his own pressure and his own volume. Like Erosa, he believes that winning victory comes through aggression that despite not being the most durable guy, despite not being the fastest guy out there, his victory is going to come through his own offense. Mm-hmm. And that's not, not wrong, but he's, he's already 34 mm-hmm. pretty late in the game to be kind of still building that style. And the further up in weight you go, the, the harder people hit. 
Yeah. You know? So I got to take Kinoshita here to win by knockout at some point. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think basically this is a classic MMA fight dynamic. This is a game of chicken. Yeah. And whoever is just more willing to stand their ground and and, and leverage that into forward momentum is going to have an easier time landing shots. I think uh, for all of his uh, the for all of the fact that the the wrestling might be a a key turning point in this fight, it definitely works better when Fugit is the one coming forward. Yeah. And, um, yeah, while I have seen Kinoshita have some rough spots when people have backed him up, they never last for long. He also knows that, like, yeah, the way to win, the way to feel confident is to seize the initiative and come forward at every opportunity. Yeah. And it could uh, – I'm ready for the wheels to fall off Kinoshita just due to an aggressive wrestling attack, due to a head kick, due to a short elbow. Yep. His style is – it is built for a good time, not for a long time. Yeah, but you I know? also think it's got it's got room to grow. He, yeah, has, he yeah. has shown the potential to be more than just a yeah. uh, meat and potatoes swarmer. Yeah, I would love to see it grow. Um, <laughs> I'm just, you know, there are there are there's reason for caution. I'm just not going to pick it in this kind of fight where you've got somebody like Fugit who is not that durable, not that fast, does have a nice, well-rounded game. Mm-hmm. But then you've got a, a prospect here who is a really solid knockout striker. Yeah. And like the not that durable, not that fast guy, it just doesn't feel like a, you know, doesn't feel like the fight to prove Kinoshita doesn't have it. Right. Yep. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat yeah. interested to, uh, yeah. to see Kinoshita's UFC career. You, you put him in against somebody like Gabe Green or something. Oh, you know, God. <laughs> That's the wheel, bad. Yeah. The wheels might fall off. But. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us. And I should mention, I should have mentioned this earlier. Over at BloodyDouble.com, we are not gone yet. We oh. are still striving and struggling. The Viva section will not be gone, no matter what happens, for a yep. long time. I begged I Zane to let me free. I he, you know what? He bartered. He he doesn't have a lot to trade, but he tried he tried to trade it all for his his freedom. I did the whole MacGruber thing. Yes, yes. Just tell exactly. me what you want me to. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but that you know the boy is mine. Wow! And our producer just put in the chat: Connor selling his ass, and just to just to sink the knife, uh, metaphorical knife, a little deeper. Uh, she misspelled my name. So yeah. Sorry. Anyway, great. Uh, great. It's not value. like it's right. Not like it's right there on the Skype window or anything. Great, great value. Connor is sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> the market pantry. Connor is uh, here to stay. All right. Uh, and on that note, uh, we'll be back in one in one week's time for UFC 284: Makachev versus. Uh, Volkanovski. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, 
and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>